Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Natalie Moore, and this is Reset. Your daily dose of conversation on news, politics, arts, and culture. If you're looking for a good summer read, look no further than Erica Sanchez's memoir, Crying in the Bathroom. The Chicago author traces her life in deeply moving, brutally honest, hilarious essays. The book covers topics from her childhood growing up as the daughter of Mexican immigrants in Cicero, to struggles with body image and depression, to coming into her own as a writer. The book doesn't shy away from poignant introspection and offers insight that any reader can relate to and learn from. Joining me now is Erica Sanchez, New York Times bestselling author and poet. First of all, congratulations on the release of your book. You've previously released a novel, I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter, that has received critical acclaim, and of course you're a poet as well. As a writer, how did you shift from fiction and poetry to memoir? Was it difficult? It was incredibly difficult, but, you know, as you probably read in my book, I like to make my life difficult, as my mother would say. <laughs> and um, I, I, with each book that I write, want to challenge myself in a really profound way. Like, I, I think a lot about transcendence and, like, how I could go beyond what I thought was possible for me. And so um, poetry for me is always the base. Um, it's what really brings me back to earth. Um, it's it's what makes me feel alive and excited. And so that translates then into my prose. What I really liked about the memoir is that it's a collection of essays that could really stand alone on their own, but they build on one another beautifully. Did you write them knowing it would come together like this? You know, I wasn't really sure what was going to happen. I just started writing essays, and it felt really good. It felt good to tell the truth in a literal sense. And so as I was writing, I I saw how they all interconnected, but I wasn't sure it would have this kind of narrative arc that is very clear to me now. And so it was really fun to think of this project as, you know, standalone pieces, but also make them form a very traditional storyline. And so that, for me, was part of the fun in it. I saw it mostly as an essay collection, but my publisher wanted to call it a memoir, and I was like, well, whatever sells the books, I don't really care. Yeah, sometimes they uh, <laughs> they do what they think needs to be done to, to, to move those units. <laughs> Um, but what would you say the arc in in this collection is? It's a story about really becoming myself, becoming who I am. It's it's a story that I think a lot of women can relate to because of all the different challenges that we face as women and as women of color in particular. And so um it's really a second coming of age story. Like the first uh, prose book, I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter, was a coming of age story for a, a young girl who is about to go off to college. And then now this is another coming of age story for a woman who's like becoming a mother. 
and um, is married and is, is making a life as a writer. You write about points in your life that are deeply personal and painful. What was the process of revisiting those moments? You know, for some writers, they have to walk away for extended periods. Others just deal with the trauma right in in that moment. Um, How did you grapple with it? And ultimately, was it healing? It was incredibly healing. It was also very painful, which is not surprising because transformation is is um, is painful. It's something that requires a lot of effort. And so revisiting some of those moments, um, you know, was incredibly triggering and, and it made me feel um, like I was there again. And um, of course, that that was overwhelming at times. And I, you know, tried to take care of myself in, in many different ways. Um, but what I was able to construct from my life and all of these difficult moments uh, is this uh, work of art. You know, that's how I see it. I, I see me turning so much like grief and, um, and and struggle into a book that I hope is beautiful to the reader. And you're also really funny. <laughs> and, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> and you take pride in knowing that you're funny. Uh, and making people laugh. <laughs> I was hoping I could hear your laugh because you talk about your laugh and how it's jarring to certain people. Uh, <laughs> yes, certain. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. And so that humor creates an intimacy that's there. But can you, you know, your brothers, they seem to be funny too, um, the way you all crack on each other. But Tell me how you came into your your humor and, and you know what it was like growing up. Yeah, well, I think um, Mexicans, at least the ones that I'm familiar with, working class Mexicans, often resort to humor in order to survive a very difficult existence, and so um, we have to make fun of how absurd life is, or else we would just like crumble and. F- like fade away. And so um, humor is in some ways uh, a form of survival, but also it can be a weapon. And for me, it, it was both. Um, when I was a young girl, I used humor in, in a way to protect myself because I knew that, you know, I was different. I was weird. And, and, and people like to, to talk about how strange I was. <laughs> so, um, well, the, the goth in high school. The yeah, no, I was yeah. I was just like different, and and I had to you know find a way to protect myself, and that that came with some pretty vicious jokes or comebacks, you know. And going back to the the painful quickly, um, you talk about your struggles with bipolar disorder and the difficulty in, well, one, just even getting that diagnosis and then the uh, the treatments that, that you received. Why was it important for you to include this part of your journey in crying in the bathroom? You know, I write a lot about mental illness because I've struggled with my mental health for my entire life. And so um, it's an underlying theme in, in all of my work. And I think that um, oftentimes brown women, black women are 
are not really taken seriously are sometimes invisible to society. And so our pain is often silent. And so I, I, re- I refuse to live in that way. I want to bring attention to an issue that affects so many of us. Um, and, you know, the diagnosis was a complete surprise to me because I had never really even considered it. And, and I think the diagnosis was correct, but the treatment for me at that time was incorrect, which is what led me to, you know, have an extreme, extreme bout of depression. Erica, how did you fact check your memories and events that happened while you were writing? Did you struggle with, did you misremember something? You know, I think um, memory is really tricky and, and complicated, and I tried my best to remember things as they actually happened. Um, but of course, you know, as we grow older, things become m- more murky. And so what, one thing that I did was like go through notes that I had from those times. Um, and other times I, you know, asked people questions about what they remember happened. Um, but it's, it, it was me mostly excavating my memory and trying my best to present it in a way that was accurate. Um, but hopefully, you know, I didn't get anything wrong, but it's, it's, it's impossible to know. I can't go back in time. It's, it's kind of a weird feeling. Mm-hmm. You also write about how your abortion saved your life. And I'm curious what that means for you to have that story in the book, given the recent Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade. Yeah, I didn't know that the story would be so relevant. I mean, how could I? Um, I started writing this years ago. And so um, it was such a gut punch to hear that our human rights were being reversed and um I I felt very, like, physically ill at the moment that I, I learned about this. And um, I, I'm really glad that it's in the book because it's an issue that affects so many people, particularly women. And it's an issue that's been politicized, which is absurd because it, it, it's just a medical procedure, one that can save a, a life. And for me, it saved my life because I was really, really struggling with my mental health. I was suicidal. I didn't know what to do. Um, and so I, I had the procedure in order to survive. And so um, it's unfortunate that we have to keep telling these kinds of stories to be like considered uh, valid, to be taken seriously, but but that's, that's where we are. And so uh, I just wanted readers to to really fully grasp what it felt like to make that decision. And that didn't even feel like a decision ultimately. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's something that I will keep fighting for no matter what the government decides. And again, because you wrote this so long ago, you probably had no idea that this would even be part of a a canon of no single abortion story, that there's so many different kinds of stories out there, even though people like to box in one particular kind of abortion story. Yeah, we have a a hard time with nuance in this culture. 
you know, we, we don't see like all the complexities or we don't want to see them oftentimes. Well, my favorite essay was the year my vagina broke. <laughs> <laughs> you write candidly about your experience with vulvodynia and sex. Um, can you talk a little bit about that essay and the motivation about speaking openly about very intimate struggles that can carry shame among women? Yeah, you know, if you would have told me at 22 when I was going through this uh, experience that I would be writing about it in a book for the world to read, <laughs> I wouldn't have believed it because it was something that was so embarrassing to me. Um, but now as I'm older, I feel that, you know, why do we have so much shame when it comes to our vaginas? Like, why is it such a dirty word? Why are we, you know, always uh, tiptoeing around the the issues that we have um, when it's perfectly normal? And, you know, a lot of women have revealed to me that they've experienced similar things. And so um, it's it's something that is very pervasive. And yet, you know, again, people don't talk about it out of shame. And I wanted to kind of set the tone in the beginning of the book and, and to tell the reader like what they were in for. Um, and, and I think it, it was a, a, oh, a it's pretty at accurate the tone. introduction. It set the tone for sure. <laughs> so you open with a broken vagina and you <laughs> close with uh, a letter to your newborn daughter. And you write, you come from women who refuse to disappear. This world was not built for you, but there is beauty everywhere. My greatest wish is that you fight for it. Yeah, my daughter has given me so much purpose and meaning and hope. And so I I wanted to end the book with a letter to her because I wanted her to feel like this book, in a sense, was for her. I didn't know that, you know, starting off because I, I was not pregnant when I started writing it. But, you know, as I finished the book, it made me... Re- I realized that I was so excited to share this part of myself with her one day that she would get to know me in a way that was very profound. Um, And that, you know, I I hope that the book would help her, you know, navigate her life, her, her own struggles. And so, um, yeah, she's just like the love of my life. So (laughs) I, I wanted to, I wanted her to know that. (laughs) How old do you think she'll be when you give her a copy of Crying in the Bathroom? I think 15 is pretty reasonable. I was reading all sorts of, you know, nutty stuff when I was a child. Same. So it's hard for me to say. <laughs> yeah. I don't like to censor people's reading, but um, yeah, I think a teenager would, would, would do. What has the response been so far to the book? Um, a lot of love. I've gotten so much warmth from my community, um, Latinas coming out in droves. It's just been insane. Um, I'm, I'm very, very happy, humbled, excited, uh, touched, you know, et cetera. It's just been really wonderful to also meet people who read the novel or, or the poetry collection or both and then in then we're waiting for this book, you know, to have that sort of loyalty in readership is just wonderful to me. 
Do you have a favorite genre? I mean, poetry, fiction, nonfiction? Do you have a favorite now? Yeah. It, it, it all goes back to poetry. That's me, what like, I thought you might say. Yeah. yeah. I'm, just, I'm, I'm a poet 100% at heart, always. And then, you know, the other stuff is also very much a part of who I am. But, but it wouldn't have been possible without poetry. So it, it's an extension for me. America Ferreira is adapting your novel, I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter, into a film. What's the status? Oh, goodness, the status. Well, you know, the biz, as they say, is um, very unpredictable. So there, there's been a delay, but we're, we're still at it. It's going to happen. Uh, I can't really say much, but it, the script is flawless, beautiful. I'm so excited. It's going to be great. But uh, be patient with us. Please, everyone. <laughs> we will. We will. Um, the book just came out, and I'm. you're on tour. Your brain is wrapped all around this, plus this movie that's going to come out. But is there anything that you can tease for us that you're excited about working on in the future? Yeah. Well, um, I'm currently working on a children's book, and that's been really fun. Um, I have a draft. I'm still mulling it over. Um, I'm also— So um, another genre to- now. <laughs> I know. I don't know what my problem is. I have a short attention span, I suppose. Um, but I, I will actually write another novel um, as well. That's something that's been brewing for me, and I'm really excited about the concept that I have. And then also poetry. I I just always have to return to poetry to center myself. Well, we can't wait to have you back on to talk about your next piece of work. Thank you. It'll be about five years. Okay. (laughs) That was Erica Sanchez, author of the memoir, Crying in the Bathroom. Thank you so much, Erica. Thank you. That's all for today's Reset. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss our conversations with other authors, journalists, and newsmakers. We drop a new episode every weekday afternoon and often on Saturdays, too. I'm Natalie Moore. Thanks for listening. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.